for them it's for you it makes you feel needed unfortunately for now you're needed in detention thanks for your understanding linus it's dr linus excellent Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 607, entitled Dr. Linus. This is the 110th episode of the series, there are 11 to go. And don't forget that in these remaining 11 episodes ahead of us, you can always share your feedback by saying hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost, sending an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com, leaving a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com, and last but certainly not least, calling the listener line 732-707-1815 and leaving a message that may be used on an upcoming podcast. With that, let's get to the Wikipedia summary for this episode, 607, Dr. Linus. In the 2004 Flash Sideways timeline, Dr. Benjamin Linus is a history teacher at a high school. One day, he has a particularly loud conversation with fellow teacher Leslie Arts, in which they complain about the lack of funding at the school, especially since Principal Reynolds has made Ben watch over the kids in detention instead of chaperoning the school's history club. John Locke, a substitute teacher, suggests that Ben become principal instead. While tutoring his star pupil, Alex Rousseau, Ben learns that the principal is having an affair with the school nurse. Ben enlists Arts' help to help hack into the nurse's email account and tries to blackmail the principal with this information to take his job. However, Reynolds says that he will write a negative letter of recommendation for Alex's college application if Ben makes good on his threats. Ben, unwilling to sacrifice Alex's future, backs down. He does, though, use his new leverage with the principal to get out of covering detention and restart the history club. Ben is also seen at home, lovingly caring for his sick father, who says he wishes he and Ben had never left the island and the Dharma Initiative. In the 2007 original timeline, we are following the events of the previous episode, Sundown, in which Ben, Alana, Miles, Sun, and Frank Lapidus flee from the temple after the devastating attack by the man in black. Alana discovers that Ben killed Jacob after Miles examines Jacob's ashes using his ability to read the last thoughts of human remains. After the group travels back to the original Survivor's Beach Camp, Alana ties Ben up and forces him to dig his own grave so that she can exact revenge, as Jacob was, according to her, a father figure. The Man in Black arrives and attempts to recruit Ben, stating that he wants Ben to take over the island once the Man in Black leaves with his followers. As Alana is trying to recapture him, Ben finds a rifle and gets the drop on her. 
but Ben only wishes to explain why he killed Jacob. He was afraid of losing his leadership position on the island and felt rejected by Jacob, and he was angry because he had to choose the island over his daughter's life and was unable to forgive himself for letting her die. Alana allows Ben to rejoin the group. Following the events of the episode, Lighthouse, Jack and Hurley agree to return to the temple. Hurley attempts to stall Jack as Jacob warns him of the attack on the temple. But they come across Richard Alpert, who leads them to the grounded 18th century slave ship, Black Rock. Actually, Wikipedia, I don't know that it was a... I guess it was kind of a slave ship. Well, more on that in a few episodes. Anyhow, Richard has become suicidal since Jacob's death because he believes that his life on the island has been meaningless. He attempts to kill himself using dynamite. Jack even helps, knowing the island won't let him. When the dynamite fuse goes out, Jack convinces him that they are on the island for a reason. They do indeed have a purpose. They travel back to the beach and reunite with Alana's group, Meanwhile, Miles has dug up some of the diamonds from Nikki and Paolo's grave. During this reunion, Charles Widmore is shown to arrive near the island in a submarine. And with that, now get into my thoughts about just a remarkable episode. One that, because of the Flash Sideways story, is just so filled with, with, with sympathy and passion and emotion and uh, I'm just so very much, so, so very much looking forward to uh, diving into this episode. So here we go. The episode starts with uh, the previously unlost. We are recapped that Jacob is dead. Recap of the lighthouse names and numbers. Recap of Smokey's temple attack and Saeed giving the kind of smiley, crazy Joker face, which so frightens Ben in the previous episode. That however, is a really nice connection to this week's episode. Here, Ben has been scared away by Saeed, and the episode proper starts with Ben running, then hiding, then meeting up with our jumpy heroes in the uh, personage of Lapidus, Miles, Alana, and Son. There is, at this point, despite the strength of this, of this episode, there is tons, tons of expositional recap uh, and it's it's astonishing. It's almost offensive, if not for the fact that it's usually in short chunks and, and kind of well um, uh, well delivered. Not that there's you know bad acting generally on the show, but anyhow, at this point, we have expositional recap about dead Dogen and where the group should go, the Survivor Beach, and with that, we flash sideways to Doctor Linus, which is how I'll be referring to the flash sideways character. Uh, and he's talking about the island of Elba, where Napoleon had a title, but no power. Now, I think on first viewing, you hear that and you go, oh, this is mystery fatigue. New little hints to run down. Is it too much in terms of giving us all these new things before the, the close of the series? It's actually just a bit of foreshadowing for this episode. Uh, ben recognizing that Napoleon... Being on that island, being you know still having the title of emperor, uh, but no power. That's what Ben is uh, confronted with, or or offered uh, towards the end of this episode. Smokey, Smokey offers him that the title of in charge of the island, but no real power because uh, the the disciples uh, of Jacob are either dead or taken by Smokey to whatever degree that Ben understands this battle 
between Ben and Smokey. Well, it's uh, a pardon me between Jacob and Smokey. Ben nonetheless must uh, know that uh, you know these times they are changing, and and does he really want to be um, you know in charge of such a such an empty place? Uh, anyhow, with that, uh, you know we are of course hearing this from Doctor Linus in his teaching position. We see uh, Principal Reynolds appear. He is of course overworked, haggard, and so aptly played by William Atherton who uh, is just, I was going to say memorable, but it's more than that. You can't forget him as that pencil-pushing bureaucrat from Ghostbusters. He is, of course, similarly prickly here. I think it's a case where William Atherton's career might have been made up of uh, playing characters that aren't that difficult for him in playing kind of haggard, overworked, angry people. That's my suspicion anyway. Um Anyhow, Reynolds pulls Ben from history club duty to do detention all week. And with that, Ben, Dr. Linus, as we are reminded, uh, goes to lunch with Arts. And of course, it's just wonderful, wonderful to see Arts blather on as the everyman uh, who has ended up with formaldehyde on his shirt. It's a nice touch, too, that uh, everything of Ben's is labeled extensively, despite the fact that he's kind of you know, at this somewhat professorial role, despite the fact he's getting kicked around a bit by Reynolds, Ben is still so fastidious and, uh, you know, control freak. His name is uh, masking taped over his sushi. It's written in permanent marker on his mug and so forth. With that, Ben shares his passion for, uh, you know, uh, teaching the kids. And um, at this point, the previously unseen, but nonetheless in the in the teacher's room, uh, Locke suggests that maybe Ben should be principal, meaning, of course, familiarly, that Ben should be in charge. There's then some dialogue that certainly made me think of uh, past and future episode titles. Arts calls Locke the substitute, and Locke talks about the problems with the man in charge. Uh, the scene ends with Locke, at least in the lunchroom setting, kind of uh, swearing his allegiance to Ben. Again, that's putting it a bit grandly, but I think that's that's the basic, uh, basic gist of it. With, the, uh, with that, the story moves back onto the island, and there's some more recap talk. Smokey is what killed everyone with the statue. Oh, and Jacob too, Ben says after the fact. There's, of course, a little handy reminder that Ben did the deed, which would otherwise be of no consequence except... When Ilana produces Jacob's remains, hey, we saw her picking up his ashes. Uh, and Miles does his read the dead trick. And then suddenly Ben is clearly and unquestionably accused. There's some great reaction shots in this scene from the otherwise unused uh, son and Lapidus that are just kind of staring indignantly at him. Now This might feel like a time for confrontation right now. Between Alana and Ben, but no, they know it's the teaser act, kids. There's only going to be long-term conflict set up here, nothing short-term. Alana calls Jacob the closest thing that she had to a father and steps away. And with that, speaking of everyman arts, we have everyman Miles to punctuate the scene with an uh-oh, and the act ends. With that, we get the title card, then the very beat, very shabby, very sad looking 
Survivor Beach. There's flotsam and jetsam and torn tarps everywhere. And with this, just this wonderful, wonderful scene unfolds. Ben, who is so, so uh, effective with his Ben magic, he's trying his darndest to turn the ear of anyone who will listen to find that one out like he always does, but to no avail. And speaking of no avail, we see sideways Ben, who's finishing up uh, his microwave dinner for his father. This is, of course, the great return of that actor. And for a show that's had some makeup and especially beard issues, this is a flawless example of old man makeup. It's heightened by just fantastic acting. Uh, Rogers delivered as just a step slower, his voice tired too. There's also a wonderful use of props. As Ben monologues about babysitting burnouts, he wonders if, in fact, he's more of a loser than them. All of this is done while he swaps out Dad's oxygen tank. It's kind of an air of his subservience, an air of Ben's sense of duty. But how could he be so nice to such an awful, awful man? This isn't the life I wanted for you, Ben. I wanted so much more. I know. That's why I signed up for that damn Dharma initiative and took you to the island and they were decent people. Smarter than I'll ever be. Imagine how different our lives would have been if we'd stayed. Yes, we'd have both lived happily ever after. Oh, I'm serious, Ben. Who knows what you would have become? You know, Roger is one of the great minor villains of the show, but here, you know, father is father, and Ben still wants his father's love, uh, and there's a purity to to it, particularly knowing the nature of the Flash Sideways. You know, this is a place where family can reconnect. Uh, we've seen it with uh, with Ethan. Um, certainly, you know, we we see it heading towards the uh, the finale as. Uh, you know, the emotional family of, of our heroes is, you know, that, that family is reconstituted. But uh, it just, there's something so, so right, so settling uh, on the rewatch in particular that kind of, this is where they ended up for a time. You know, uh, of course, as you know, Ben does not make that trip to the, the, next, uh, the next stop of the afterlife with everyone else. Does he does he go home? Does he, you know, despite the knowledge of it not being reality with a capital R, but it nonetheless being real people who are there, does he um, does he go and, and and spend years with his father? Does he does he you know let that time uh, carry on? I mean, we don't know how time proceeds uh, in terms of you know does someone somehow die out of out of the flash sideways world but you know does he just spend some time in this timeless place where he's just uh caring for his father and spending time with his father it's it's a poignant notion from what will continue to be a poignant flash sideways and by the way did you catch that at the end of that clip ben gasses his father this time with new fresh life-giving oxygen Turns out that, that whole tank replacement, that whole you know prop bit, 
to give them something to talk uh, over. It's actually, I think, a build-up to the ultimate comparison that Ben is keeping his father alive by means oh so similar to how Ben killed his father. With that, there's a doorbell, and who's the door? Ben's door, that is. Uh, it's bright-eyed, apple-cheeked Alex. Yippee! By the way, considering, you know, those others didn't necessarily dress to impress, Alex is looking okay here. Anyhow, she calls him Dr. Linus, of course, and uh, he's uh, only more than willing to tutor her at 7 a.m. the next morning in the library. And we see here just a man with a great sense of responsibility, a kindness to him, and the smile on his face that she's she's so eager to continue learning in this subject uh, of which he's an expert that there's just kind of this smile of pure helpfulness in his face, and it really, really is wonderful. With that, the sideways concludes, and we end up with Sun asking Alana uh, about why they aren't doing more to find Jin. Uh, it Unfortunately, at this point, just kind of turns into a mere excuse to recap what we already know, that the Quans are candidates to replace Jacob doing something, and there's only six left. So now that we're all clear on that, we cut to sleepy time Hurley with <sighs> another fat joke, but we're to blame, Beth. Then Hurley is suddenly being berated by Jack as Jack wants to move, 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 and <sighs> Hurley wants to slow down and eat. Hurley, of course, takes seriously the threat of the temple attack, whereas Jack wants to run towards it. They head into the brush and argue as to the right direction. Then Richard, guide extraordinary, appears to say that they are both wrong. Jack asks Richard where he came from, and Richard says, you wouldn't believe it, not yet anyway. However, a meta, of course, they're teasing the Richard flashback, which we're going to get some kind of, uh, you know, a prologue to tonight. With that, Jack and Hurley follow, not before Jack accuses Hurley of stalling, and the story returns to the beach where Ben fiddles around in Sawyer's tent, finding porn and great literature, uh, then an oceanic bottle of water, which lets Ben get nostalgic Oceanic. and Frank get expositioning. I remember that plane breaking in half like it was yesterday. You sound nostalgic. Maybe I am. You know, I was supposed to be flying it. Oceanic 815. And why didn't you? I overslept. Come on. Can you believe it? Imagine how different my life would be had that alarm gone off. How different would it have been? The island still got you in the end, didn't it? Walk. Are Frank's words a blatant reminder, blatant recap a la so much of the episode thus far? Yes, but it ends with a purpose. The, the, the notion of this larger, more sinister nature uh, of the island, that the island has wants and needs. And I think that that is something worth reminding the audience about first time or a recap, that there is kind of this life to the island that we're kind of aware of, but that there's this kind of, you know, I mean, we understand, okay, somebody's in the show, they're going to end up on the island and all that, but just that there's kind of, you know, they're aware of it too, the show, uh, the, the, the characters rather, they're aware that Lapidus happened to sleep in as life happens, and here we are back again. 
Anyhow, as you heard there, the clip ends with a gun to Ben's neck, and the easily predicted revenge time is now upon us, apparently. It's also a nice return of the electrical cable that Alana had collected right in front of us in a previous scene. Now, with it in hand, she marches Ben to the graveyard, attaches him to the cable and the cable to the tree. He's told to dig. Dig his own grave. That ends the act, and we return in Flash Sideways, where Alex is learning about something that looks like the Black Rock, but is actually involving 16th century trade. Uh, It's a a heartfelt scene. I mean that in a pure sense, uh, wherein Dr. Linus tries to prop up Alex. It really is so wonderful to see Ben so pure, so very, very pure. It's also great to see Alex kind of making this quick passing uh, reference to her mother, a tidbit for later, of course. Uh, Quickly, though, Alex shares a bigger tidbit that Principal Reynolds was seen by her, stopping the nurse. Even for first-time viewers, it just reads as blood in the water. Dr. Linus might be down and out, but he's still Ben. He's still calculating. We're not at the halfway mark yet of the show. There is, of course, plenty of story to go to, to use this. With the sideways over, Ben is slowly digging his grave. Uh, the perfect pairing at this point is Miles, who offers Ben green beans and bananas, and then proceeds to munch down when Ben declines. Ben, of course, is looking to wheel and deal, and the perfect answer comes from Miles, who scoffs at Ben's $3.2 million when he knows Nikki and Paolo have a cool 8 mil buried with them. Ben says killing Jacob was no big deal, and Miles responds in an incredibly touching moment that Jacob hoped that he, Jacob, was wrong about Ben right up until Ben stabbed him. It was, of course, a big deal. Miles wanders off, sensing the end of the scene, and Alana takes a shot towards Ben to keep him digging. With that, the story shifts to Richard, Hurley, and Jack, with Hurley trying to find out why Richard hasn't aged. Richard says things like, It's a long story, and Jacob gave me a gift, all of which, of course, are meant to make us eager for Abiturno. The foreshadowing concludes, uh, pardon me, continues as Richard turns a corner and they're at the Black Rock. It's so fitting for Richard's story, uh, of course, but the main story continues. Richard admits that everyone at the temple is now dead. And that just kind of, uh, you know, his knowledge of that, his processing of that fits so well with his dazed, dark delivery. And how dark is it? The act ends with Richard tromping toward the Black Rock, declaring that he's off to die. After the act break, Dr. Linus is hitting up Arts to hack into the nurse's email, and with that, the plan's afoot. It's nice to see Ben, by the way, working for the use of good, incidentally. Ben then spells out the plan to Arts, who continues to call, by the way, uh, Reynolds' Principal Reynolds, which is a little teacher insider trick for you all uh is something that they do on tv just to remind the audience who the principal is you wouldn't actually really be doing that anyhow the sideways ends with arts calling ben a real killer for gunning after reynolds it's a nice moment that isn't just played for kind of the irony for we the audience it seems to vaguely ring a bell for ben uh almost in the same way when uh when um 
Claire was interacting with uh, with Ethan when Claire first called him Aaron, and, and and Kate hears that name, and there's kind of this vague, you know, that sounds from. Did I hear that in a dream? Uh, and then they move on because it's just that that briefest uh, uh, recognition of that thought. They're not ready to fully embrace. Anyhow, sideways over. Richard wanders into that familiar dank black rock, first alone while he checks out the chains, rather foreshadowingly. Then Jack arrives and they talk about how indeed Richard was once on here. Richard opens, uh, opens the dynamite right around the time Hurley arrives, the latter deciding that it's time to leave. Dude, it's time to go. No, not yet. He's opening up a crate of dynamite and he said he wanted to kill himself. I can't kill myself. What? Even if I wanted to. And trust me, I do. I, I can't kill myself. Which is why I want you to do it for me. What are you talking about? What I'm talking about, Jack, is that uh, Jacob touched me. And when Jacob touches you, well, it's considered a gift. Except it's not a gift at all. It's a curse. Dude! Seriously, let's go now! Why do you want to die? I devoted my life, longer than you can possibly imagine, in service of a man who told me that everything was happening for a reason, that he had a plan, a plan that I was a part of, and when the time was right that he'd share it with me, and now that man's gone. So why do I want to die? Because I just found out my entire life had no purpose. Now, if I light this myself, it won't work. But you can light it for me, Jack. I've made the fuse long enough so you'll have time to get out. Jack, please tell me you're not actually considering this. He wants to die. There's nothing we're going to do to stop him. How splendid that Hurley plays the audience here, cringing as the dynamite is thrown about, and how equally splendid that Nestor Carbonell continues to play Richard as desperate and feeling crushing futility. With that, Jack, Dr. Do-No-Harm Jack, decides if the man wants to die, and so be it, and he reaches for the wick. Now, let's talk. It ends the act, and afterward the story continues. Jack! Dude, we gotta go. Guy's crazy, and I know crazy. Hurley, go ahead. We'll be all right. Dude, you're gonna blow up! Gotta talk to him, Hurley. Just go. No, I'm not going without you. Hurley, I'll be fine. When you change your mind, I'll be like a mile away. You should go with him, Jack. No, Richard, no, I shouldn't. And you're gonna die. Actually, I don't think either one of us is going to die. What makes you think that? I just came from a lighthouse. Where my name was etched in wood on a dial that turned a mirror. That somehow reflected the image of the house that I grew up in. Jacob's lighthouse. He got Hurley to bring me out there because he wanted me to see what was reflected in that mirror. For some reason, he wanted me to know that he had been watching me ever since I was a kid. 
Why? I have no idea why. But I'm willing to bet you that if Jacob went to that trouble, that he brought me to this island for a reason, and it's not to blow up sitting here with you right now. That's a pretty big risk you're taking, Jack. Yes. What if you're wrong? I'm not. Though a lot of that is Jack recap, it's presented with such tension as that fuse comes closer and closer to the very dynamite that we've seen work perfectly over and over. And the recap itself is done with Jack's own sense of dark futility, but also an emerging sense of hope. And I love, however, that Jack, despite that kind of growing sense of hope, he closes his eyes before the fuse hits. The man of faith wants to be reborn, reborn by the small fire of the wick. But the man of science knows that a much larger fire might in fact take him out. And I would argue that when Jack's eyes open again, he's now all man of faith. Jack says what's next is to return to where this all started. And the story moves with Ben, still a diggin'. Uh, though this time he hears Smokey slowly approaching. And in an excellent and dirt-cheap shot, the camera turns and turns and turns around Ben, and then suddenly Smokey Lock is just simply there in the background. Smokey starts to seed his own future story. He's getting ready to leave, but someone needs to run the island. Uh, well, I guess his own, <laughs> hopefully his own future story. A wave of the finger later, Ben is free of his bonds, and he's been told where a gun is. We've seen Jack just make a choice, and now it's Ben's turn. He looks at Lana and runs, runs, runs. Speaking of choices, flash sideways to Dr. Linus, who's going to the principal's office. That's not why I'm here. I want you to read something. Well, if this is some attempt to revive your little club... Those are 30 emails that cover a three-month period. It's pretty lascivious stuff, which would be fine if it was private, but they seem to describe acts that took place on school property. Acts which, morality aside, I think the school board would frown on, not to mention your wife. What do you want? Your job. You're going to resign for, I don't know, personal reasons, health, your call. But with your resignation, you're going to recommend that the school board hire me as your replacement. And the irony of all this is that they hold you in such esteem that I'll get the job. So, do we have an understanding? Linus. May I read you an email? Dear Principal Reynolds, I would appreciate it if you could write a letter of recommendation to Yale on my behalf. It would mean the world to me. Sincerely, Alexandra Rousseau. 
It's a funny thing about recommendations, Linus. They work both ways. So, I put the ball back in your court. You can execute your little Machiavellian maneuvers, go for my job, sit at my desk. But alas, there will be an unfortunate side effect. I will torch Miss Rousseau and her future. Is my job, my power, that important to you? So, what'll it be, Dr. Linus? It is truly such an incredibly powerful scene because it so loudly echoes Ben's island choices, just like the flashbacks of old did. And with repeat viewing perspective, I think that Ben's kind of nascent, smarter afterlife self is desperately trying to break free, trying to make the right choices. Um, and it's also great delivery. Ben is in charge when he first walks in, but there's nervousness in his eyes. It is, in a certain sense, his first time doing all of this, at least as the, the, the person he understands himself to be currently. With that, the story moves to Ben on the run, looking for a gun, which he quickly finds. And it's clear that it's curtains for Alana, that the man who killed his father and the island's father will very, very quickly shoot her. What are you waiting for? I want to explain. Explain what? I want to explain that I know what you're feeling. No idea what I'm feeling. I watched my daughter Alex die in front of me. And it was my fault. I had a chance to save her. But I chose the island over her. All in the name of Jacob. I sacrificed everything for him. And he didn't even care. Yeah, I stabbed him. I was so angry, confused. I was terrified that I was about to lose the only thing that had ever mattered to me, my power. But the thing that really mattered was already gone. I'm sorry that I killed Jacob. I am, and I do not expect you to forgive me because I can never forgive myself. Then what do you want? Just let me leave. Where will you go? To Locke. Why? Because he's the only one that'll have me. I'll have you. You know, I wouldn't call something pointless recap when it is, in fact, illustrative of something. This is the first chronological glimmer, perhaps, of the sideways Ben, Ben the good, Ben the humble. 
of course, realize that we're still on the island. I'm just saying this is kind of the emergence of that that man that we will meet chronologically later that we have met, at the, you know, at the beginning of this episode, just like in the flash sideways, we would say, uh, pardon me, in the flashbacks, we'd say, how, how did someone get to be this way? Then we would find that out from the flash sideways. There's kind of this in reverse, this, this uh, effect in reverse. The line that Locke is the only one who will have been, it's just tremendously raw. It's tremendously reminding that Ben has spent a life of not being wanted, a dead mother, an emotionally absent father, a Dharma community that didn't care, Othersville underlings who cowered to him, but in many cases couldn't stand him, and Ben's knowledge that he was always third in line behind Richard the, <laughs> the very, uh, you know, the hardly mortal, and Jacob the immortal. With that, there's an act break and Dr. Linus walks into the principal's office. And it's clearly a scene that's meant to have us wonder what decision was made. He rolls his eyes at Reynolds' nameplate, perhaps to remove it. But quickly, Alex pops in, amazed at the letter of recommendation written by Reynolds. The story moves outside, where Arts is played for laughs at getting Ben's parking spot. The message is that such things really don't matter. And Ben watches from afar as Alex is truly happy. And you know what? So is Ben. With the sideways now over, it's back to the beach with a soft, touching feel to everything. Ben is holding a gun, but nicely puts it in his place. He's clearly contrite and caring and changed. Do you need a hand? Please help me with the tarp. With that, we start a montage as the episode appears to start to conclude very softly. We see Frank building a fire, Miles inspecting his Nikki and Paolo diamonds, Alana very quietly mourning the death of Jacob, and Sun seeing Hurley and Jack and Richard appear on the beach. The same beach we've been at so many times with so many more friends. Indeed, a kind of feels almost empty here having the group this small at this point and Giacchino's music is of course perfect it's emotional but sparse it perfectly captures the idea of those absent friends as well as Ben's slumping shouldered emotions as everyone else has their happy reunion he is just there sparse and emotional and overtly kind of on a downer that's no way for an episode of lost to end and as the camera starts to move across the sea a periscope pops up
This is, I think, a very great episode. There's an emotional aspect to it. There's also kind of an altruism and a spiritualism in the episode. We see Ben uh, in his flash sideways, Ben having had all the chances, apparently, uh, that, that he never had in his life. And with that second chance, the good man that he is deep down is is so obvious in this episode. And um, it's it's really a moving flash sideways. It's perhaps the best so far where we really get a sense of the character that we know deep down, despite all the tremendously awful things that he's done time and time and time again. Um, he's so kind to Alex, so tender with his father. Um, and even in his, in his dirty dealings with Principal Reynolds, there's this... Um, He's doing it for the right reason. He's doing it to get the the, the, the short-sighted, ineffective, unprofessional principal out of there. You know, the, the notion that Ben would would uh, you know be be a benevolent uh, team leader and not kind of the uh, the sparse you know uh, baddie that William Atherton portrays. Um, ben is such a giving, or Doctor Linus, I should say, is such a giving character and. We see the flip side of that in the, uh, you know, in the island portion of the story that, you know, Ben's saying, you know, I'll go to Locke because he's the only one who will have me. It's, it's been so tremendously raw and, and ripped open. And it's kind of the first time that we're finding who he is deep down uh, on the island. And it's just, well, it's a remarkable episode. It's, it's the flash sideways story and the island story talking to each other on a way that few of the island and flash stories whether it's flash back flash forward flash sideways you know it's rare for them to be this in sync um but but they certainly are and it just it just leads to an absolutely absolutely wonderful wonderful episode with that let's take a look at lostpedia for the bits and pieces i have missed they say that this is the first episode to have a flash sideways focused around someone who was not on 815 in either timeline. Interesting point. They also say that although it is not seen on screen, it appears Miles spoke with the dead Paolo and Nikki to learn of the diamonds buried with them. The presence of one of the diamonds at the conclusion of the episode indicates that some grave robbing took place off camera. Which I don't know is exactly that mind blowing. That's clearly what the show is trying to communicate, but worth pointing out. Lostpedia also says that John Grease has played Roger Linus as a young man in 1964, a middle-aged man in 1973 and in 1977, an older middle-aged man in 1992, and an old man in, 19, uh, in 2004. This is the longest age range, 40 years. The same actor has played of any, of any naturally aging characters on the show. That's a fun bit of trivia. Lostpedia also goes on to say that Richard Alpert implies he arrived on the island via the Black Rock, which of course is later confirmed in Abiturno. Going on, this is the first episode to have a flash sideways that doesn't have an appearance by or a mention of Jack. Uh, on the wall in Principal Reynolds' office, there is a large photograph of a scenic shot from an island. Hardy har har. Uh, this is the first time that Hurley has been seen at the beach camp since the beginning of the end. 
And then lastly, Jack and Hurley are the first uh, main Flight 316 passengers who time-traveled to re-encounter other main Flight 316 passengers who remained in the present in the form of Lapitas, Ben, and Son. So with that, kids, let's look ahead to next week. Next week is episode 608, Recon. After that, the the unparalleled Abiturno, the return of my favorite character in 610, The Package. And uh, we're just trucking along here each week, closer and closer to the end. So thank you, everybody, for listening. It is always so much fun that we can get together and talk about Lost. Today's episode is uh, being recorded a bit close to the wire. No, uh... <laughs> No time to play with. It'll be hitting the internet oh, in about an uh, hour and a half, two and a half hours, something like that. So, thank you everybody for having been here for these first 110 episodes. We look at uh, that number getting shorter and shorter each week. So, take care everybody. Talk to you all again next week for 608 Recon. Take care and bye bye.